it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We have a lot, I mean, literally a blizzard of information coming your way. And we're going to follow all of it live. And a minor thing, I, it used to be a major thing, but uh, for the foreign the Chinese Foreign Secretary is actually meeting with Secretary of State Blinken and at stake OPEC, APEC, A-P-E-C. It's a conference where uh, leaders of the world, high-tech world, meet in San Francisco. China has not RSVP'd yet, and the president really wants to meet him in San Francisco and I guess bring down the rhetoric. We'll see where that goes. And that's just one of the major stories, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI has thwarted legitimate leads and has prevented its agents from actually investigating Joe Biden's corruption. Senator Ron Johnson just just absolutely beside himself because he's in the minority and couldn't follow up on the Biden investigations. But now this. The Biden scandals continue to grow. Yes, on the political side, too. What the House investigations team has revealed with their closed-door interviews, some of the transcripts are coming out now, and a $200,000 payment from Jim to Joe Biden. Plus, President Biden has a new Democratic challenger uh, for the nomination and the presidency. We'll discuss it. Number two. It's a highly lethal combination of mental illness, a well-trained military from the Army, he, he's a firearms instructor. He's desperate. He's already killed, so he knows what he's doing. He's not going to be taken alive. Uh, killed 18, wounded 13. We're talking, that was Chris Swecker, by the way, former FBI assistant director. Manhunt for the deranged military veteran uh, who's killed so many and has virtually vanished into the woods of Maine, perhaps, or he's killed himself and is somewhere. We'll stay with the chase. Number one. Early Friday, U.S. airstrikes at two sites in eastern Syria linked to Iran after recent attacks on American troops in the region. It happened near the town of Abu Kamal, which sits on the border with Iraq. Pentagon officials say it targeted two locations, including weapons and ammunition storage areas. Uh, Finally, we hit back. After at least 14 unanswered attacks, America struck back, targeting Shia militias aiming uh, aiming at Iran, who hours before threatened to us from the United Nations. They are supported by Iran, but we hit them in Syria. We have that and how Israel is taking the fight to Hamas, another land incursion two days in a row. They go in hard with uh, artillery tanks. And people, uh, people movers, and maybe some bulldozers, and then they pull out for two straight days. Trey Yingst, who's one of our great reporters, best best ever, uh, was in there meeting with the uh, defense minister over in Israel. And some stuff was off the record, but the stuff on the record is they are going in, and it's not going to be weeks. It's going to be months when they actually go in. So that was on the record. That's with uh, Secretary Defense Minister Gallant, as he said that last night. Uh, to only six reporters, Trey was one of them. U.S. coalition troops have attacked at least twelve, been attacked at least twelve times in Iraq and four times in Syria over the last week. We hit back once. We hit back where weapons depots were in Syria, and I'm glad. And I don't have access to Pentagon material, top secret material, but I know this: 
Most of the attacks are coming from Shia militia in Iraq. And I don't really care what the prime minister of Iraq says. We have 2,500 there. They want us there. They want that presence. They do not want to, the Iraqi people don't want to be owned and run by Iran. So the militias are in there creating havoc. We have to be able to defend ourselves. I hope there was the reason we hit Syria is because we didn't want to kill anybody, but we wanted to send a message. I hope we're not going to hit back. We're, we're just going to ignore the hits that are coming at us in Iraq because it's been 19 times since October 5th, 17 times, 14 times since October 17th, and 97 times we've been hit since Joe Biden took over. And counting this last strike, only five times have we answered. Here's President Biden yesterday, cut one. We have had troops in the region since 9-11 to go after ISIS and prevent its reemergence in, in both Anyway, in the region, having nothing to do with Israel at all. My warning to the Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those troops, we will respond, and he should be prepared. It has nothing to do with Israel. They keep saying that over and over again. I like what Marco Rubio says. He says, U.S. precision strikes tonight against two Iran proxy facilities near Abu Kamal in Syria is a direct response to the Iran-backed attacks on U.S. personnel and are an important step towards reestablishing deterrence against further attacks against Americans. Look, he's trying to be bipartisan here. But you got to hit back hard. That's all they understand. Do you know the foreign secretary was at the U.N. in New York City, got a visa, allowed to stay? And delivers his remarks threatening us if we allow Israel to continue to go into Gaza, threatening us that we're going to feel reprisals? Are you kidding? How dare you, this foreign minister threatening us? Today in New York, in the United States, I say frankly to the American statesmen who are now managing the genocide in Palestine that do not welcome the expansion of war in the region. But I warn, if the genocide in Gaza continues, they will not be spared from the fire. That's us. They're not going to spare us from the fire. It is our home and West Asia is our region. He continued by saying that this, his country, does not compromise with any party or side and does not have reservations when it comes to the country's security. The more you think about it, the only problem with the Middle East right now, the only problem is Iran. Yeah, there's going to be pockets of terrorists, and I get that, but Iran finances it all. You don't have a problem with Saudi Arabia. You don't have a problem with the UAE. You have a problem with Qatar because they house Taliban officials, Hamas officials, Hezbollah officials, but they are not a terrorist state. They still have our military headquarters there. But we always say we're going to attack back at a time of our choosing. That sounds good, except for we're choosing not to attack back, and it just gets people in trouble. What's going on in the region? I thought Cameron Hamilton was right on the money yesterday, former U.S. Navy SEAL, on last night on Fox News Tonight with Trace Gallagher, cut eight. They keep the fight elsewhere so that the focus could not be on Tehran. They barely have control of their own nation, and the sectarian divides of that region are about to unravel. The only thing that can unify much of this region under a common cause would be an all-out war against Israel and perhaps the United States. That's what I believe Iran is trying to push for. I think the environment of what we see also with this administration is one that projects weakness and instability in the region. So therefore, I think Iran's goal is to prop up these lone wolf actors and or proxy organizations that are sponsored by them to really wreak havoc in the region in a way that has some degree of plausible deniability. But in reality, all the intelligence that we're seeing 
very clearly shows that these are groups aligned with radical extremism from Tehran. Right. They sponsor, they finance, they train. Look, I don't know how many times the Pentagon's going to push back on stories that show Iran was directly involved in the August, excuse me, the October 7th attacks. The Wall Street Journal running another story saying they had 500 Hamas terrorists training inside Tehran, inside Iran. And then we know about what they reported earlier with having these meetings, bi-weekly, bi-weekly meetings, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Iranian officials, the Al-Quds force. And all the Pentagon says is we have reliable information that shows Iran was surprised by the Hamas attacks. I don't know. They say Hamas officials talking to the Wall Street Journal. I think the Wall Street Journal is incredibly reputable. I don't think they have an agenda. They're just reporting the news. They got this story almost immediately. They expanded on the story. They talk about the training. I don't see the Pentagon coming up with any explanation of how they missed all this. And what happened instead? Do you really think Hamas was training by itself because they watched, I don't know, YouTube videos? They were trained by professional terrorists. And Iran is not only the financiers, they're the drill instructors. And they're ready to go. The other big story... Uh, that we've been talking about over the last few days, and it's not over. Uh, the Lewiston, Maine story. Uh, multiple watercraft have been registered, it seems, and that could have been the getaway, uh, the getaway of the killer uh, in Maine, who killed 18 and wounded 13. His name is Ryan Carter. He spent 20 years in the military, in the reserve. He was evidently kicked out of training in West Point. He was institutionalized for a little period, of, a short period of time, against his will, it seems. He was hearing voices. He knew the targets he was going to hit. He was going to hit the bowling alley. He was going to hit that restaurant. Evidently, some people in there did know him. Evidently, he was having hearing problems, hearing voices in his head. Uh, never those voices are ever positive. They always seem to be devilish and evil, and certainly this was the case, too. This guy, Clifford Stevens, grew up with him in Massachusetts. He said uh, he felt as though he got into the military with Card at the same time. He said the aggressive leadership was prominent in the Army, but Card stuck uh, stuck out for being rational and understanding person and led through respect uh, rather than fear. Also, his ex-sister-in-law came out and said he's a great guy, was, is very quiet to himself, but of late he started acting irrationally. The question is, in this system, if you are irrational and it is the military that institutionalizes you, why do you give them back their guns, especially when one of the goals was to shoot up the military base, who he claimed was ruining his life, and why didn't law enforcement know that this guy was a danger? So now Bortak who had success in Uvalde, had success finding the escaped prisoner in Pennsylvania. They have a lot of respect from a lot of people. They are now in uh, in town, in Maine, looking for this guy. I have not been, I've only been to Maine a couple of times, but evidently the, where they are, the forest could not be denser. And this guy knows it. He's an outdoorsman, has been trained, can handle a weapon. He is not irrational, evidently did leave a note according to ABC. And the note was addressed to his 14-year-old son. So we'll see. It seems to be suicide in nature. Did he kill himself already? So Pierce Morgan, who famously came out against guns and went to his on another network, CNN, it didn't work out. He's one of the great personalities you'll ever see on television. I mean, he's just a great person. I met his son last night. I was on the five with him. And his tact is now, look, I get it. I missed it. Guns are part of the American culture. That just doesn't happen in Britain. I didn't grow up with it, but I have respect for it. But don't we all agree that 
the, the mass shootings are a major problem in every study. Now, if you're listening to me right now and you're way to the right and you're pro-Second Amendment, that's true. But you can't say you're not concerned about mass shootings and how to stop them. Here's what Pierce Morgan said last night, cut 15. The one thing I've learned about this whole issue is it's an American issue. Americans don't want to hear people with my accent lecturing them on how to lead their lives or what culture they should have in their country. And I learned that. uh, And I respect that. Uh, Having said that, that image of that guy there clutching what appears to be, I guess, a semi-automatic rifle, whatever it may be, we don't know yet. And we don't know what his motivation is. We don't know exactly what's happened here or why. And to preempt that is stupid. And to try and score points is stupid. But America has to look at these images, which come again and again and again. And just understand that to the rest of the world, this seems crazy. That's true. And to put it in perspective, and there's many views on this, up until like the 1980s, 90s, 2000, when was Columbine? We weren't really seeing any mass shootings. Once in a while, they would stand out. And, you know, mass shootings, if you go, if you go on a campus and kill nine people or shoot nine people, you, you apprehend them, it's a one-day story. It used to be a major story. So if the guns were always part of our culture and there were less gun laws earlier in America than they are now, why is it just a problem now? And how do you handle it? I asked Governor DeSantis that today. And he says, look, we, we crack down with red flag laws. We, we talk about uh, psychology, the psychiatric portion of this, the drug use that goes along with this. Um, he has different things to do on the, on the periphery. That's going to be the key because every time they come out with gun laws, all it does is make life miserable for the people that follow the law. Oh, now you have to register your gun. Now you got to keep it in a uh, in a locked safe. Now you can't keep it in certain areas. Now you got to uh, you only buy it this way. And the background check's going to take weeks. So all the things for law-abiding citizens, it it just gets harder for uh, for us. But for the people that are going to shoot up a school or shoot up a bowling alley and then shoot up a restaurant and then run for the hills, literally. They're not going to pay attention to these laws anyway, and guns are always going to be here in America. So if you talk to suburban moms, Republican and Democrat, it is one of their top issues. Why? For the most part, they're dropping their kids off at school, even though you would say that's 1950s. And not really. It's still happening. They drop their kids off at school, and they're the ones thinking about it. School shootings, and then when people go to mass events, whether it's a concert in Las Vegas um, or you happen to be at a bowling alley in Maine, People have to worry about it. So is there a way to keep the guns from the crazies? For example, this guy is out of his mind. He's hearing voices. He's mad at West Point. They pull him out of training. He ends up institutionalized. Does anybody listening to me right now want him to have a gun tomorrow? Anybody? Good. Didn't think so. one 408 I'm going to take your calls. Lawrence Jones is in Maine. He's part of that manhunt, not doing it, but reporting for it. He's also got a brand a uh, brand-new book out called American Man, speaking the truth about the war on masculinity. But he's all, he's 15 minutes away. You're next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What you're going to be hearing out of the White House over the next few weeks is loan, loan, loan. And look, even if Joe Biden did give his brother a loan, which I don't believe he did, the fact that that his brother defrauded a company that is now bankrupt and all the creditors lost all their money that they invested in this or loaned to this healthcare company. But Joe Biden got $200,000 from it before they went bankrupt, all because Jim Biden was selling the brand, was selling the Biden well, name and convinced people to pay him money in exchange for favors from Joe Biden. Yeah, let's see where that goes. Uh, what happened is they had a speaker search for 22 days. But in the meantime, there was some investigations going on. And uh, James Comer was uh, found out that there was this payment that makes no sense that Joe Biden got from his brother that helped pay off his beach house. $200,000. What did he do to get $200,000? Maybe there's an explanation. Uh, maybe it's an inheritance from his parents that Jim forgot to give his older brother. Who knows? But let's hear what they have to say. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, David Weiss is going to submit to uh, an interview, an investigation, some questions and some probing uh, in uh, bipartisan in the House. David Weiss, you know, is the, uh, just the AG of Delaware who's doing the investigation into Hunter Biden. Evidently, he's got special counsel uh, powers. But get this. There was about 40 separate investigations into the Biden family, nothing to do with Trump, Republicans, James Comer, just 40 separate investigations by the FBI and the IRS, but they didn't follow through. So the whistleblowers came forward and said they were stopped. They were told, their bosses were told, you'll stop investigating the Bidens. Now, there were 40, 40 separate uh, forty separate investigations. What happened? Well, they brought in U.S. Attorney Martin Estrada who verified the whistleblower claims that they declined to prosecute Hunter Biden. The DOJ is accused of politicizing. We know that. Uh, the Estrada says they maintain he never took any steps to block Weiss from pursuing charges against Hunter in California, though. But they went on to say that the reason why they did not pursue tax crimes with Hunter Biden, they were short-staffed. We didn't have the people. That's it. A prosecutor verified the whistleblower's claims, declined to prosecute Hunter because they didn't have the people. Yes, we got to crack down on that convenience store. we got to make sure these these corporations pay their fair share. Oh, on Biden, Hunter Biden, multi-million dollar mysterious payments from uh, third world third world countries. I just don't have the people. We believe that. Come back next. Lawrence Jones from from Maine, where the manhunt is on. And where 18 have lost their lives, or 13 are scrambling to keep theirs. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
There were a lot of red flags. Just to be clear, Maine has what's known as a yellow flag law. And under the yellow flag laws, the only people that can refer somebody like this guy to a civil court in order to overcome the Second Amendment and take his firearms away from him are law enforcement. Maine, however, had what was believed to be maybe the model for the future in a lot of states because it was only going to be law enforcement as in the police or prosecutors. Now, it is coming to light that maybe he did have a brush with law enforcement relative to this mental health uh, issue that he had in the two-week stay in July in a mental health facility. These are questions that people are going to be looking back on. That's Paul Morrow. He's just great at his job for NYPD, uh, head of Intel Operations, also an attorney. Lawrence Jones is out covering the story, literally in Maine right now in Lewiston, covering this morning. He's going to be covering it all day, sitting there with sources trying to uh, find out really what's happening on the ground and how much we really should have known about this guy, a 20-year military veteran. Lawrence is also the author of a great book. It's out, American Man, Speaking the Truth About the War on Masculinity. And Lawrence, before we get to your book, I just and I, I know you didn't know you were going to be, you're supposed to be in studio, but they want to send you out on this because you're so great at this and you have such great context of law enforcement. What have you picked up now that you're there that we weren't picking up uh, in New York? Well, Brian, and appreciate the kind words. Um, I was hoping when I got on the ground that they had some leads and they just didn't want to share them with us. They don't. There's no leads uh, with this guy. Uh, either he has killed himself and is, you know, somewhere that they can't find him, or he's very good at evading law enforcement. Um, this is why they're bringing some of the Bortac guys in because they have that experience with the terrain. Um, and they can really go out there and search the brush and see if he's hiding in trees in a cabin or something like that. Um, they, they have that ability to do that. But right now, you know, there's been a lot of people call, and I was told by law enforcement that all of the even sightings that people have reported have not been credible at all. So it's so interesting is that they surrounded the house. I'm doing the five yesterday, and we, get, we yeah. blew off two commercials. They surrounded the yeah. house. They heard a flashbang. I'm thinking to myself, they got to have a credible lead. Lawrence, there's no – and I'm not criticizing. I'm just yeah, deciding. No. There was no sense that he was on the inside ever. But, no, no, th- and, but they that, didn't they try they to back just, off the media. They didn't say, hey, guys, no. we don't have any proof. We're just checking. No, we're just doing abundance of caution. Isn't that – didn't you find that odd? I, honestly, the way that they're approaching it right now because, you know, law enforcement is afraid as well in the sense of – and they should be afraid because you're dealing with someone – that is operating a high-powered weapon, they're doing it by the book. They're doing it phase by phase, waiting to the SWAT team, going to put in flashbacks to clear the building. Um, they may have seen some type of heat si- uh, signatures in the building, uh, in the house, that they wanted at, a, uh, at an abundance of caution to, to sweep the place in a methodical way. Now, we don't see that with every incident because – Sometimes you just got some guy that has killed someone that's just trying to evade capture, but that doesn't mean that they have military you know, experience or they're a marksman. So I think right now what you're seeing for law enforcement is a little bit different than most cases because of the guy they're going after. So they checked the local I, – I hear they're flooding the local gun stores to see if he bought anything there and see if he had a background check. Uh, if he did have a background check, here's the question. I'm not sure you and I can answer this. Maybe you can. Yeah. 
And if you have a background, if you have a meltdown in the military, which he had at West Point, he had a meltdown. Uh, people taught, you know, he heard voices gets institutionalized. The, the mil- would the military put that on a background check so when he goes to buy a gun anywhere, let alone Maine, it comes up and says, sorry, sir, you didn't pass. And, and that's well, the question, right? If you, you did know. it in real life, if you did it at your house, it should be there. If you do it in the military, is it there? Yeah, so, Brian, that, that is – everyone that I've talked to have said that is where there's an issue. Unless there's a dishonorable discharge or something like that that's on there – Right now, that wasn't the case with him. He was still a part of the military. Um, it, they've still been a little evasive of what happened when he was scheduled uh, to be at West Point for drill. This is what they do when they're uh, in the reserves. they got to report every month uh, and go through it. And apparently they've been a little evasive of that. But whether it's him or anyone else, there is a – I wouldn't say a glitch, but there's a hiccup going on between what is reported to the FBI's database. And part of that, unless you've been charged – somewhere in the military, um, they're not getting that information for mental health stuff. So if I went up and I said to this guy, uh, Card, I said, listen, uh, you're having problems. I'm going to need your guns. My sense is he is resourceful enough. If you take the guns that he gives you, he's got more and knows how to get them. That's the other thing. Just because you take his guns, do you think you really shut him off from getting guns? I think, Brian, anybody that wants a gun, they're going to be able to get a gun. Yeah. I mean, there's an entire black market to do that. And I think every time when these tragedies happen, everyone is so quick to blame the tool that is being used for the act. And I think it's, it's, it's short-sighted. I think we got to have, you know, they always say, let's have conversations, let's have a conversation of how we're – I understand. I'm not trying to violate people's civil liberties, but a lot of these folks need to be committed. They do. They're a risk to society, just like those that want to inflict violence on people from the day-to-day base. And I, I know we've changed the, the rules regarding that, but we really need to reflect on this. Because every single one of these guys, mostly guys that are committing these acts, we find out that they had mental health issues. And everybody knew about it, but they didn't do anything about it because of the, the rules on the books. So uh- – so, Lawrence, you came out with this book last week. The, the, the stuff has been so serious and devastating in the Middle East. The carnage that happened October uh, 5th, we're still seeing the reverberations today. And then this manhunt right after. Yeah. And then our guys are getting hit in Iraq. So we haven't had a chance to look at it. But let's take a minute. Uh, let's take a couple of minutes now. You re- yeah. release American Man, speaking the truth about the war on masculinity. In Texas, I get the sense yeah. that they were immune from it. Did you feel it, that there was a, a pushback? on a, a masculinity in Texas, or was that immune? I mean, I guess if you go to the the cities like Austin, but I think the traditional uh, Southern gentlemen still exist in Texas. And when I moved to New York and Washington, D.C., I really saw the, the new modern approach to manhood. Like, you know, I never forget calling my mom when I moved to D.C. and I was opening doors for girls, and they were like, now nah, I got my own door. Um, that's just that is the new way of doing things, and they feel like any guy that's you know helping them for 
you know, I'm on a lot of planes helping them with their luggage, and that's considered toxic. Or if you want to get the bill, or if you, you know, if you believe in the traditional roles in, of males in the household, that is toxic. So I, I kind of wrote this book as a defense to the traditional man, and it's not the bash women tell them to go in the kitchen or anything like that. I come from a generation of strong women that were the first in a lot of things. Um, but it is a defense of what I feel like is traditional manhood that that's best for society. Do you feel as though things have changed or you think that things are, are going to come back to normal or do you think that things have gone way over to the left? We got, we got dudes that are in skirts that want to play sports. Okay. And everybody thinks that's cool. And all right. All right. And the men that do speak up, okay, you got some of them, but a lot of them won't speak up because they're afraid of the backlash that's going on. So I, you know, I write in the book that there was a movie called Joanna Man where this was considered crazy. You would never have a dude playing against girls in sports. It would be considered ridiculous. And now it's it's become a, a thing now. Uh, it's insane uh, about that. But I just think that uh, with the Riley Gaines and people talking about what they're doing in women's sports and what's happening, um, that maybe there'll be some pushback. Is that what you do? You, is that what you hope comes from this book? I'm hoping there's some pushback. I'm hoping that. People use the book as a guide uh, to principles for men. This is for, this is not just for men. Uh, principles of men that are, have been successful in their own right, but it's also, you know, if you have a daughter, you you know, you want her to marry the American man. You want your son to be the American man. Um, I'm not talking about anything new, but I am defending the old school approach. Uh. We're talking to Lawrence Jones here, uh, co-host of Fox and Friends. The name of the book is American Man, Speaking the Truth About the War on Masculinity. Lawrence, do you have any signings coming up, or do you know where people can get it? Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Brian. Um, Dana Perino and I will be doing On the Jersey Shore this weekend, Sunday. She's going to be interviewing me. Uh, I'm sure she's going to be interviewing you when your your latest book comes out as well, Brian. I can't wait for it. It'll be at 1 p.m. in the Bayhead. Uh, you can go to my Twitter for the information. Right in New Jersey. Just go to Twitter. Uh, Lawrence, so do you think that – tell me if this is a stretch. The Travis Kelsey, the old man who <laughs> doesn't really know how to shave close, likes to run through tackles and wear eye black. That's who uh, Taylor Swift wants to date, a real man. I don't, I don't even think this is real. I don't think this is real. I don't think the whole Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing is real. I Allison, think can you weigh in on this? Employer. Can you weigh in? Wait a second. It is totally real. <laughs> Allison, weigh in on this. There's no way it's not real. Allison, what do you think? They both seem happy. I hope it is. You never really know, but, you know, they seem happy enough. That whole story about him saying, I felt embarrassed when she came to visit me, so we went and bought a $6 million mansion. You don't do that for a fake relationship, no, Lawrence, do you? Well, you, you do. You do when you have the money, you know? I mean, it's... in the bank account and you know what he's going to be making a lot of mo- more money because his jersey sales went to number one it's true um you know you got folks that are coming to the game i look mark my words and i said this from the very beginning watch taylor's interaction with the mom that's going to tell the full story mark my words lawrence jones thanks so much co-host <laughs> of fox and friends i do i think by the way we're taping this right we have a reel to reel 
We have real to real tape, <laughs> and we're going to roll this back. And when they're walking down the aisle, I'm going to go one eight hundred Lawrence Jones. The real man got the hot woman, and life is good again, and more book sales for you. I may be depressive that happens, Brian. I may be depressive <laughs> because you have your eye on Taylor Swift too. No, 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 no. I'm not Swifty. Okay, Swifty. American man speaking the truth about the war on masculinity. Lawrence, good luck, and uh, I'm so Thanks, glad you're out there really doing the manhunt. It. Thanks, brother. All right. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 A couple of th- uh, balls we have in the air. We hit finally last night into Syria. One of the is, uh, this is this Iranian-backed militias, we hit their weapons depot. We did not touch uh, they, uh, their bases in Iraq. And it bothers me because 19 of the attacks over the last two months have come from Iraqi-based Shia militias. And that's got to stop, even though we were warned. We'll discuss that. We're also looking at the manhunt, and we're also reviewing uh, what is happening with the Hunter Biden and the Biden family investigations. While they were looking for a speaker, the investigations were moving forward. I have more details when we come back. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We don't have enough mental health counselors. There should be a mental health counselor in every single school to identify kids that are suffering. There needs to be one on every college campus that identifies kids that are suffering. We have to be able to see it. Most of those, if you talk to the younger generation, they will tell you if they have anxiety, stress, or depression. They just don't know. They don't have a place to go. And if you happen to get one of those things, the therapist, the mental health center, the addiction center, insurance doesn't cover it. And we have to start treating this for the crisis that it is. We have to start acknowledging the fact that this is happening. She is uh, right on the money. That's got to be addressed immediately. And if you want to tell these suburban moms that might be Republican who are pro-gun but against mass shootings and want to see some action, that's what you do. You talk about a massive mental health movement to get rid of the stigma of doing it, to seek it when you have it. Use the military for an example. Um, I see a lot of people advertising for online psychologists, you know, people who used to have best friends to talk to, maybe don't anymore. Having said that, we'll judge that later. But to have something in your insurance that would cover it. So, for example, if you need to be institutionalized, a lot of them have to kick you out because the insurance stops. They need the bed. They got to survive, too. With the addiction, it's amazing. I know people that go into rehab Usually 60 days is not enough. 30 days is barely passable. They'll kick people out in 10 days because that's all insurance allows for. So there's got to be a visit by smart people in the business that understand this because the objective is the same. Keep the guns from crazy people so normal people can keep them without any of these problems. Steve, you're in Michigan. Hey, Steve. Good morning, Brian. Hey, one of the points I feel that isn't talked about enough is how laws are handcuffing us legal gun carriers. We're not allowed to take our weapons into so many places where these mass shootings are occurring. Even in Michigan? Yeah, Michigan. uh, Anywhere their primary sales are alcohol. A venue, I believe, that seats over 2,000. Federal building, I understand. We have police officers at most courthouses schools during school events like basketball games when it's not a massive amount of students you know you get it uh you're enclosed in a building you know churches 
and stuff like that. So I feel how many people in these mass shootings that were in the bowling alley may have been legal carriers that had to leave their weapon either at home because they knew they were going to a bar or had to lock it in their vehicle like I do when I enter these places. Uh, That's a good point. Uh, But how do you feel about you look at this situation? Nobody wants to be the victim of a mass shooter. You don't want to go bowling and wonder if you're going to get shot tomorrow or go to your sports bar. We all have that same objective. Gun owners aren't gun owners. So what should we learn from this? Uh, it's a saying that a lot of people, no, no one's going to save you except yourself. We are like five, 10 minutes away from the closest police officer. Uh, you know, know your exits. I'm not saying every turn into the wild west. Everyone start shooting at everybody, but you have to be aware and be able to protect yourself in these situations. Yes, I don't like the idea that when I go to a sporting event or a concert that this may happen, but unfortunately, as we brought up or you guys talk about a lot, is the mental health has gotten so bad in this country that it's a reality. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Chris in Florida. Hey, Chris. Good morning, sir. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I can answer a couple of your questions about, um, like, if you get in trouble in the military and they have to, they have to take your weapons yes. away or something like that. It all depends on whether you're active duty, reserve, reserve. Let's say reserve issue. Um, so I, I did most of my time in reserves, and we had a soldier that uh, was arrested for domestic violence. So at the low level, the unit armor, the guy that hands the weapons out, he doesn't know anything. It's up to the first sergeant and the platoon sergeant and the, the chain of command to pull that soldier out of the line and go, no, we need you over the motor pool. You're not getting a weapon today. So that his privacy is protected and, you know, all stuff like that because you're innocent until proven guilty. Um, on a higher echelon at the battalion levels and higher, um, there are people, like if you're convicted or if you're yeah. having a mental breakdown, there are people who are supposed to be alerted by that through either local law enforcement or the base police, depending on how or, you get arrested. Or it just hits like, for example, if I committed a felony, it would be on my background check. Maybe the military has to just put it. On everybody's background. It's, that's when you're in the real world. It's not military discipline anymore. It's because you easily be fixed. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm, I've, you know, I've done this for uh, tw- over 25 years now at Fox. I never remember speed and, and impactful stories like this happening at the same time, ever. And uh, that's why I'm so glad you're here. And I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where a lot of this stuff is happening around the world. Like, people are looking at New York and can't believe the protests we're seeing not for the country that lost 1,400 people. 700-plus are civilians in three, four hours. But the country, or excuse me, the people that actually inflicted the damage, protests for Hamas and the Palestinians all over the country, it is organized. I think these people are being paid. There's no way this is organic. Uh, Mike Rogers at the bottom of the hour, and from Israel, Ambassador Michael Oren, one of the deepest thinkers, good, really good writer, too. Uh, former U.S. Israeli ambassador to the U.S. He's going to be with us in a matter of moments. 
Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI has thwarted legitimate leads and has prevented its agents from actually investigating Joe Biden's corruption. That is Senator Ron Johnson. The Biden family scandal and political side continues. What the House investigation is already following and still doing, even while they were looking for a speaker, and the inexplicable $200,000 payment that won from Brother Jim to President Joe. What is behind that? And a new challenger for President Biden on the Democratic side to maybe make him work the primaries. Number two. It's a highly lethal combination of mental illness, a well-trained military from the army he, he's a firearms instructor he's desperate he's already killed so he knows what he's doing he's not going to be taken alive uh maybe maybe not but that's what chris wecker says former assistant fbi director manhunt for the deranged military veteran who's killed 18 wounded 13 and has virtually vanished will you follow the manhunt number one Early Friday, U.S. airstrikes at two sites in eastern Syria linked to Iran after recent attacks on American troops in the region. It happened near the town of Abu Kamal, which sits on the border with Iraq. Pentagon officials say it targeted two locations, including weapons and ammunition storage areas. Yeah, uh, that was just one of the many sites and the most benign site we could hit, but at least we hit. Finally, after 14 unanswered attacks, 19 over the last month, We have finally answered over 90 attacks on U.S. forces and interests in the region since President Biden took over. We've answered a total of five times. Why are we so cautious when they're the aggressors, when we know in the region aggression and strength is the only way to survive? I don't have to tell it to Ambassador Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the U.S. Ambassador, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, it was good to be back with you, Brian. Ambassador, you? Uh, first off, I, I know how challenging this has been for you, but from where where are you right now and still in Israel? Yeah, sure. I'm in southern Tel Aviv. We've had about uh, three major barrages uh, this afternoon. Uh, at you? Very close. One of them actually hit close close by here. Uh, shook the whole house. Um, but the you know, Iron Dome is doing its job. It's only you know it's ninety percent effective. So if they're firing a hundred rockets at you, at least ten gets through, right? One of these rockets takes down an entire apartment building, so it's not, you know, it's not a pinprick. What direction is it coming from? From Gaza or from? All from, from, Ga- from Gaza. These are from Gaza for okay. the time being. For the, for the time. Right. So they're still able to uh, to shoot rockets off, even though there's been hundreds or thousands of strikes on Gaza at this this hour. They're they're still there. Yeah. They are not running. Oh, I don't. Oh, first of all, there's nowhere to run to. But uh, beside that, they, they're kind of trapped in there. But, uh, no, they have an amazing, you know, very deeply dug-in missile capacity. It's not, these are not like the launchers that are above ground. They're beneath the ground, and the ground opens up, and the rockets fire out. They made those launchers. Uh, that's pretty amazing. So they're, they're not just sitting there with launchers that you set up and shoot in the middle of a battlefield. No. This is not Ukraine. This is something very different. Uh, beneath Gaza is an entire city. Uh, Dozens, maybe hundreds of kilometers of tunnels and bunkers. So you're at the end of the third week of the war, you've now upped the number of hostages, unless you want to up it again or lessen it, at 229. Because it's not clear who was killed and who was taken. And I think at last count, there was at least 15 bodies that were unidentifiable. I'm not sure if you're working that number down. But the number's at 229. Are you making, would you say you're making progress that you know of, of finding out where they might be located? I don't know. 
And I, if I did, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be saying it on radio. But it's very difficult. You know, we many years ago, we had a prisoner named Gilad Shalit. He was five years in Hamas captivity. We couldn't find him. That's how you know, labyrinthine this underneath this, this subterranean city is. And who knows? He's in some – these people are held in different places. Not all of them are not held by Hamas. Some of them are held by – some of the hostages are held by Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And believe it or not, Brian, some of them are held by families. It's a family hostage because uh, Palestinians who are not actual members of Hamas crossed into the border that day, took hostages, and then took them back, and they are for sale. For sale? Yeah, they're for sale. They will, they will sell them to Hamas. The, that's amazing. Uh, so they'll, they'll take them. Now they're taking care of them. From the four hostages that got out, were they able to give you anything of interest? I'm sure that they were briefed, debriefed very extensively. See, you know, maybe they can describe where they were. Maybe they can describe who they saw. But, you know, Hamas is very, very smart. Never underestimate as, as, as totally beastful and beastly and monstrous. And they are monstrous. I don't call them animals because I don't want to insult the animals. Uh, as monstrous as they are, they are smart. They're very smart. And so the hostages that released were the hostages that were guaranteed to give them high, very high profile. And to increase pressure on Israel to agree to a ceasefire, to impose a ceasefire. Now, a ceasefire, you understand, means victory for Hamas. Absolutely. That means Hamas gets away with, literally with murder, murdering 1,400 people in the most brutal fashion you could ever possibly imagine. And uh, it means that we can't restore our security. It means uh, we can't restore our deterrence power. It means we can't live here. It, it, it literally renders this place pretty much uninhabitable. Um, I mean, would you want to raise your kids in a in a country, you know, it's the size of New Jersey, not that big, uh, where there is a huge terrorist attack both to the north and the south, who have emerged victorious and are, you know, they're just going to rebuild their their capacities and they're going to attack again. I mean, really, uh, who can live in a country like that? Very difficult. Ambassador, so we, their, we, their disinformation campaign worked. They made it seem like they had no more interest in necessarily uh, forcing you guys out of your land. There was ind- indications from people like Jake Sullivan that the Middle East has taken less of his time than ever be all of his predecessors before because, and the Palestinians said, don't worry about us, we'll be fine. And people started looking elsewhere and thinking more of the possibilities with uh, the expanding the Abraham Accords. That was part of the disinformation campaign. Then we find out they were using hardline phones so you couldn't even pick up intercepts. So that, in that way, they show an additional sophistication that many didn't expect. Very sophisticated. I think they had some significant help from Iran. Do not underestimate them. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate their inhumanity, but don't also interest their their, their intelligence. Uh, and they're smart. And how they got around, you know, our our very sophisticated fence. How they uh, managed to shut off electricity and knock out cameras and. Uh, yeah, sophisticated. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, we're going to crush them because we have no choice. And the big challenge here is not necessarily defeating Hamas. The big, big challenge would be resisting rising international pressure for a ceasefire. And each day that goes by, does it make guys like your job harder? Whether I need you know ambassador now, but you're always working it, letting people know what's really happening. Does it make it harder? Yeah, yeah sure it will. Especially as the narrative changes. I mean, we, we had a certain grace period because our, our, so many of our people were killed and killed so, so horrifically. Um, but now the, the narrative is changing uh, to Palestinian suffering. So right after this, uh, the radio interview, I got interviewed with the BBC of London. And that's going to be uh, just an awful interview. 
They're going to say, how can you do this to the Palestinians? How can you do this to the Palestinians? How can you be so cruel and inhumane? That's going to be the narrative. Um, so my job is to create, I think, time and space, time and space for our armed forces to do what they have to do in order for us to survive. And uh, none of us have any jobs. I, I Listen, I, I'm you know an old soldier. I was 35 years in the military and the paratroopers, and uh, I'd much rather be out there with those guys doing this, but this is my job now. Right, uh, which is pretty amazing to see uh, to see that there's so many protests popping up. I saw a hundred thousand people in in the UK uh, protesting for the Palestinians. Who prior to October uh, October seventh, I didn't see any of them. I mean, there was no movement in in America among college campuses to go protest for a Palestinian state. How do you explain this, Ambassador? That we're watching these horrific scenes. Do you know what the message is? If you are Jewish. Don't go out on Saturday if you're in Brooklyn. Can you believe this? I think it's even deeper than that. There's obviously a huge anti-Semitic element to this, but it's even deeper. I think there's a tremendous amount of self-hatred in it. It's hating your own civilization. This is not a war between Israel and Hamas, uh, maybe even not even principally. It's a war between Israel as a civilization and, and, and darkness and evil. Hamas is the exact same organization as ISIS, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda. They all have the same theology. Uh, they want to overtake the world and create a, a universal caliphate uh, based on Islamic law. That's what they want. I'm not, you know, I'm not making this up. And uh, and so, what is standing against this? Well, in the first in the first line is the state of Israel, but America's next. Europe's next. So the people are protesting in favor of Hamas. Hamas, right. who you know, if you're a gay person, you're going to get hanged. If you're a woman who's you know seen out you know walking with a man and you're not married and he's not married, you're going to be dead. I mean, really, there's zero rights for anybody. Who would so who would support that? Admit, who would support that culture? Who Only in the West would support the, that culture? People who hate who eat it. Well, they hate Jews, but besides the hating Jews, they hate themselves. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to say on, on BBC. You, know, you guys, how much do you really hate your own civilization? I mean, is that what you want? I guess you want your civilization to die. And maybe you want to live under that type of regime. Um, maybe, you know, you want to live in a, a regime if you're a woman, has, you have zero what rights. And maybe you want to be in a regime where you could be beheaded for blasphemy. I mean, really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's insane. Uh, I want you to hear what a lot of people yeah. are saying that are naive. They don't understand the Balfour Declaration. They don't understand what Israel came from. They don't, certainly don't understand uh, what, what happened thousands of years ago. But here's, the pre- here's President Biden, and I know it doesn't work on your best interest to contradict the president, but I think you have to hear cut three. It also means that when this crisis is over, there has to be a vision of what comes next. And in our view, it has to be a two-state solution. It means a concentrated effort for all the parties, Israelis, Palestinians, regional partners, global leaders, to put us on a path toward peace. And a two-state solution? Are, are, is that they insane? You're going to allow the West Bank uh, to be a state and, and link to Gaza, and we're going to pretend this is going to work? Listen, you know, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, that's in the West Bank, we call it Judea and Samaria, is in the 18th year of his fourth term. He will not stand for re-election because he knows that Hamas would win in the, in, in the West Bank. So unless the president has an idea of how to get around that, the fact that the Palestinians actually like Hamas um, and will vote Hamas into office, uh, I don't think 
that the, the two-state solution is, is, is a starter. I mean, there are many ways you can work to improve the situation here. You can manage it much better. You can give a Palestinians a type of a diplomatic horizon. But right now, you put a state there, that state's going to become another Gaza within, within a week, especially if the Israeli army pulls out of it, because what keeps Mahmoud Abbas alive is our armed forces. Right? And uh, I don't think you want that. So I, the problem is that everyone's been stuck on this two-state solution thing for now over 30 years, and it fails over and over and over again. And, you know, you know it's what Albert Einstein called the definition of insanity. People try to do the same thing over and over again, thinking you're going to get a different result. You're not going to get a different result. So, you know, as long as everyone's stuck on that formula, we're not going to get anywhere. But there are other ways. You could look at trusteeships. You could look at cantonment. You can look at federal solutions. All different ways you can go. But the two states was never going to happen, um, and you know why? Why do that? Uh, but I understand politically why the president has to do it because that's the position of his party, and particularly the progressive wing of his party. The progressive wing of his party uh, does not want to support Israel. Only forty-six percent approve of Israel on the Democratic Party, yet they get about I think seventy percent of the American Jewish vote. I know you've dealt with higher. this a lot. How do you exp- maybe mm-hmm. higher? So how do you how do you uh, how do you uh, Gel those two. No, I'll give you an example of my own party, my own family. I got a lot of family in the States, and, you know, they're all, I don't think, I don't know if there's a Republican in the whole family. I really don't. He's like not coming out of the, the basement. And, uh, and they love Israel, my family. Most of them love me. Um, they and care, but they have other orders of, of priority. They're, they're very liberal in their outlook. They care about the composition of the Supreme Court, they care about social issues. Uh, and so their value system more closely aligns with the, with the Democratic Party. That may shift. We have to say it may shift. Depends if the party if the party becomes you know dominated by that progressive sort of wing of the party, which is more socialist, very critical of Israel and uh, critical of the United States. Because um, my my family, whatever it, it, my, our father who passed away two years ago, uh, landed on Normandy Beach, was a great patriot, uh, war hero, and uh, America was everything to him. And so he flies that flag outside the flag. We still have the flag outside of my parents' house. My mother's still living there. Uh, you know, the, the family, for all their liberal values, is deeply, deeply patriotic and will not go in the direction of a party that is not, does not love the United States of America. It's, uh, it's insane. Ambassador, uh, you got to keep, uh, keep fighting because you're on the right side of it. And any blood that happens in Gaza, tragic, not an aim, not an objective, unless you're Hamas, but the blood is on Hamas's hands. Uh, they did this. Definitely. And, and totally. that's, that's what everyone should realize. Totally, totally. And I'm embarrassed by what's happening here with these college kids in America. Thanks so much for what you do, Ambassador. All right. Thank you, and have a quiet, good weekend. All right. Thank and, you, you know, time. beat up Very on the good. BBC Bye-bye. if you can. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, and then we're going to welcome in Mike Rogers, who wants to be the next senator from Michigan, Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everyone. Uh, Brian Kilmeade here. Like the guard, the deep voice says, coming up November 7th, a week from this Tuesday, uh, it's going to be uh, Teddy and Booker T. Uh, two American icons play the path to racial equality. I could not. We know Teddy Roosevelt. You know Booker T. Washington. You don't know how. 
they work together. I, I tried to pick up where Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln book uh, left off, and they both they both have interactions with their uh, predecessor. So I think that you'll really like it. It gives you a perspective on race in America, where we're at, and why you should be so proud of where we're at and what we've been through to get here today. Without these great Americans, we would not be the same country. And that's my point. You've read biographies on both. You read their autobiographies. But do you know how they work together and how much uh, was undiscovered until recently? And I work with their descendants to help bring this forward from Tweed Roosevelt to the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington. Went to Tuskegee University, out to Sagamore Hill, uh, his apartment in, New- in Manhattan, and all the libraries that are here uh, in Manhattan, too. So on, I'm going to be doing an extensive book tour. I'm not talking as much on television, so I want you to pay attention. Go to BrianKillMe.com, but I'll be at the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey, talking about all my books. It's really like how America got great, all these great moments in our past, and it's fun, it's on stage, it's live, VIP opportunities so I get a chance to meet you. And then in Ponte Vedra, WOKV listeners, you know, I'll be at the Villages in Vero Beach, but back on stage, again, uh, you'll see me in uh, Mulhill, Pennsylvania, Holland, Michigan, Joliet, Illinois, Skokie, Illinois. Go to BrianKillMe.com. With every ticket, you get a book, and it is signed. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. John, the president said that if Iran or its proxies attacked U.S. troops, that we would respond. So what is he waiting for exactly? He did say that. Where's the response? He said that. And he said that we so will... Repeating the warning is the response? Jackie, come on now. It's not what? a question. I'm not going to telegraph punches here from the podium. Really? Well, we did punch back after... Getting hit over 90 times. We've hit back now, counting last night's strike, five. But the U.S. launched strikes on the Iranian-linked targets near Abu Kamal. But that was in Syria, even though most of the attacks came from inside Iraq by by Iranian-sponsored Shia militia. And keep in mind, this is Sunni, uh, this is a Iraqi government that is not for the Shia militia being there. But right now they are really supported heavily by Iran because we picked up and moved out. Mike Rogers knows all about it. Former, He was a congressman then, uh, FBI in his background, military as well, former Michigan congressman, former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, now running for the open U.S. Senate seat in Michigan. So I wanted to get your take on the hit last night and the fact that it took so long, even though we've been hit 14 times since October 17th, Mike Rogers. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's this administration happened, you know, when the press pushes you into a, a position where you're never going to, you know, you're, you're never going to be on the winning side of that. And so just the length of time it has taken to respond and to find targets and the very fact that we got attacked in Iraq, but we haven't had any real pushback in Iraq from the United States tells you we're in for some tough sledding. Now, I will say here on the good side, hitting munition depots that have been stocked up by the Quds Force, the uh, Iranian kind of blend of special forces and intelligence services, is never a bad day. So that, that, those munitions would either get, work their way to Hamas or Hezbollah, uh, but not likely those munition dumps did anything into the Iraq region 
uh, at least uh, at least at this point. Right. And you have the Iranian foreign minister come to the U.N. and threaten us that if Gaza continues to be hit by Israel, we're going to take it out on you. Can you believe this, this posture, that he has the audacity to come here and say that? Well, I mean, again, it's they've been thumping their chest. But you have to remember, this this has been a long time in coming. I mean, the Obama administration policy on Iran was absolute appeasement. They would have given them their, their mother to get that Iran deal, uh, uh, which, by the way, we now know was as, as big a failure as we all thought it was going to be. Uh, we know that th- just recently, because we don't pump oil here anymore for our own use, we have to uh, – we took the sanctions or didn't force the sanctions on Iran, who now has whatever it is, $43 billion a year in new cash revenue – uh, that was, and that was those sanctions were put on that oil production in, back in 2018 under Donald Trump. So you look at all of the things that they're doing, including, by the way, uh, reengaging in this nuclear uh, arms, or excuse me, nuclear uh, uh, deal for them not to get a nuclear weapon, which again means you know more payments. The what we just saw again with the hostages, and that six billion dollars isn't what's what's fueling all this it's that 43 billion in oil revenue yeah but that six billion would have helped them for sure and so you start adding all of this up and you get to the point where you say hey you know mr biden we are getting our fannies handed to us on this and you're emboldening our adversaries so that he gets on a plane the the foreign minister in uh, of iran and comes here and threatens the united states I mean, my Lord, how much more do you have to take before you say the policy of appeasement on Iran isn't working? Uh, yes. And you have uh, the president of the United States also keeps going out of his way to say, I don't want a confrontation with China. I don't want a confrontation with with Iran. What does that do, do in in international diplomacy speak? What does that mean? Well, it means you embolden your adversaries. You know, the, there's an old theory in defense circles, never tell your adversary what you won't do. Uh, so when you start out with that, you've already put yourself in a place of weakness. That means I can push you as hard as I can, China, Iran, Russia, uh, because I know you don't want to get to a certain point. That gives me a lot of latitude on the trouble I can cause around the globe, uh, number one. And number two, I mean, if you think again, all the problems in the world, uh, you know, when, when we basically, when uh, Obama in, in Iraq, remember when he said, oh, we're just pulling out overnight, yeah. created ISIS, ISIS went into Syria, and it was threatening the United States, we had to react to that. When uh, uh, Biden decided just to pull out in the middle of the night, literally, uh, and leave our allies and the women of Afghanistan to fend for themselves, which they're not faring very well, by the way. Uh, it just sent a clear message. And what people do, I don't know if they realize, but China has been running around the world saying, you see that? You cannot count on the United States to follow through with anything. We're going to be here. We're going to be here for a thousand years. Uh, you know, why don't you give us your natural resources? Well, you know, give us your partnership. Give us your defense spending. All of those things have been happening, and, boy, our team just can't quite get out of the way. And I am stay engaged in the world, Brian, but not entangled. And when you're not energy independent and you have to you know, have the president of the United States, Joe Biden, gets on a plane to fly to Saudi Arabia, says, please pump more oil because we don't want to. Oh, and by the way, we'll take off the sanctions on Iran 
uh, or not enforce them so they can pump more oil. Oh, by the way, we're going to cut a deal with Venezuela, by the way, who has threatened the United States working a, a stronger relationship with the Chinese Communist Party because we need their oil, because we won't do it. I mean, it just that the evidence is overwhelming as to why this policy doesn't work. You don't want to be entangled in the world, Mr. President? Then let us become energy independent put on the sanctions back on Venezuela and Iran and start sending the message that, hey, listen, we're not going to tolerate aggressive behavior around the world that disrupts commerce and uh, certainly takes lives. So I also think the one thing that I've been on top of, and you could disabuse me of this because you know the mechanics of it all, we have to build up our military industrial complex, the fame thing that Eisenhower said to look out for. Now we can't do it. But we have customers that want to buy our missile defense, want to buy our F-16s or, or F-35s, but we can't do it. We can't supply the Taiwan for money for equipment that they paid for that's in our interest for them to protect themselves. We now have to, according to Dave Ignatius, take a weapon system that was heading to Ukraine and bring it over to Israel because we don't have enough. The Iron Dome needs to be replenished. Israel usually pays for a lot of this stuff. Maybe these are these are successful countries. We got to convert these Eastern European countries into using our material and train them on our stuff, and they become customers. And it's in our best interest. Why are we not trying to address this? You know, this is a great point, and it's been going on. And here's the difference I think from the Eisenhower warning, which I thought was legitimate. You don't want these big, massive defense companies guiding all the decisions in Congress to make sure that they have these big weapon systems and have whole bunches of it uh, that we don't need. And he was basically saying at the time, don't let them drive you into a conflict somewhere. I think that's probably good and sound advice. The problem is that pendulum swung way over the other way. Uh, and they said oh, at, at, at some points, even during the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, we couldn't get enough ammunition built because we had no industrial base level set, meaning we didn't have a minimum where we said we got to keep some of these things alive. And in 94, after the peace dividend, they, they jammed a lot of these companies together, took out a lot of those small and medium companies because they just couldn't survive that were providing services of some sort um, of, to the, our industrial base. Uh, and it's now we're, we're living with those problems. And so for a while there, they were saying, we, we, we're going to have to find out how we even build airplane engines at a certain rate to make sure that the, we can still do it, even if we don't need them. Think of that. Right. Uh, and there was other uh, other different things. And so I agree with you. What we need to do is go back and say, what do we really need as a minimum capability to ramp up and defend ourselves? And this, would, to me, is the perfect mm -hmm. example they're struggling to ramp up to, to meet the demand today. Well, we should have already have thought this through on a strategy to make sure that that capability exists. And we've been in such a hurry to send stuff to China and all over the world to manufacture. We forgot that, you know what, if we don't build things in America, right. we're going to be in some trouble. So i got to ask you what's going on with Maine right now. Uh, we're watching a guy that has mental illness that was institutionalized for two weeks still be able to get a gun and come out again. We find out that the military might not be communicating with law enforcement, let alone if he bought a gun at a gun store uh, and they go background check. He could be clean, uh, this shooter. But in reality, he had a meltdown at West Point and they basically didn't let him finish. So his family said he went off the rails hearing voices. Anybody that likes guns. Musk has to make sure people like this don't get guns. 
So when you have people say, Republicans say, don't take my gun, I get it. Democrats say, let's get those assault weapons and we don't need guns anymore. That's never going to work either. So what does Mike Rogers say we should do? Because we're all anti-mass shooting. Completely. And there's a, there's a couple, I think there's several ways we can deal with mass shootings. The largest number, by the way, of mass shootings happen, tend to happen in urban areas and tend to be criminal or gang related, uh, you know, drive-by shootings and other things. I have a, I, I think I have a, a, a solution for that as well. In a case like this, listen, we have mental dis- distress happening in our society in a way that's really hard uh, to get your arms around. I do believe that we have to have a way to make sure that exactly what you said, if someone is having a mental health distress moment and then goes from the military to the civilian world, we have to have a way to be able to track that yeah. to say, hey, this person is not, is, should not be buying a firearm. Um, and, uh, you know, are there protections you have to build in there? I do believe it. due process is going to be important. But at the same time, if we don't get our arms around the mental health piece of this, people can thump their chest on, you know, I'm going to ban gun A or ugly gun or a good-looking gun. None of that's going to matter. Uh, there are 300 and, or something like 400 million guns on the streets of, of the United States. And so what you have to do is target the problem, not the tool. And the problem is you have mental health issues that don't follow the person when they uh, transfer from the military to somewhere else. That has to happen. Right. And because you see that a lot of Republican, especially suburban moms, you're going to want their votes in Michigan that are as as red as you can be, uh, are really concerned about the mass shooters and what we're going to do. We had no problems in this country, uh, even up to the 80s. We just weren't having mass shootings. They were rare. And now they're happening and the laws are, you could argue, are even stricter now. So I don't think taking everybody's guns is even on the table. Now, where do you stand on assault uh, assault bans? Because that's what again, President I, Biden's picking, pushing now. Well, I mean, again, I think it is something that won't solve the problem, right? The, the tool that they use for these mass shootings is not the problem. Uh, the What's the problem is you have a mental, a mental health distressed individual who, who had no check and balance in the system that would allow him to, to buy up and purchase a gun. That's the problem. How do we fix that problem? If you notice, no one wants to talk about that. It's hard. Uh, we're going to have to have a conversation with ourselves in America that, hey, we have some uh, mental health distress problems in this country. And think of this, Brian. It goes even beyond that. In, in uh, 2021, nearly 30% of teenage girls, and this is why I think this mental health thing has to be addressed head on in in the country, 30% of teenage girls thought about committing suicide. Wow. Think of that, 30%. 10% actually attempted suicide in 2021. Now, there was the pandemic, but it was also social media, and we don't fully understand why that's happening in our society. Well, we better uh, because those folks are, are, are also going to go on to be an adult. You hope you want to get them, uh, you know, some help early on in their in their lives mm-hmm. and then find out, is it social media? Where is our problem on all this mental health? And this is all relatively new uh, for the United States to have the, this mm-hmm. kind of level of mental distress in someone's life. Mike, so we've got yeah. to deal with this. Mike Rogers wants to be the next senator from Michigan in a state that's that's leaning left, but I think he might, if the Republican's going to get it, I can't imagine a candidate more uh, that profiles better than you with a more efficient resume. So I think a lot of times 
people aren't really addressing the issues that matter most. I think if you have that issue, that's not on anybody's platform. But I think it also I think it goes back to the phones uh, personally and all the interaction that we don't do now because we have these phones to contribute to uh, to get in the way of that. But I don't know how you handle that. I think people are beginning to wake up to it. But Mike Rogers have the Republicans in the House damage made your job harder after the the farcical search for a new speaker over over the course of 22 days. Yeah, they certainly haven't made it easier. Let me put it that way. And if you think about it, I have had people say, no, I love the chaos. This is great. My argument is, guess what? We, you know, we, we control one-third of the three-legged stool here uh, to try to get things done. And in all that time, A, we, we demonstrated, can we govern? I don't know. You have to ask yourself, question mark for sure. And then you go down the list. Did we did we do anything on the border in those three weeks? No. Did we do anything to, to try to reform the way uh, the size and scope of government? Nope. Didn't make any headway on either of those. How about the inflation problem of, uh, you know, bigger government, more spending, more borrowing? Nope. Didn't do anything on that. How about getting our military back in shape so that we can stand up to threats around the world if we need be? Yeah. Nope. None of that happened. And so my argument is, you know, listen, we need to put this chapter behind us. They need to govern. Right. And I hope, I hope they've learned a lesson that, and I know there's right. a lot of hot, hot tempers in that room. I've talked to people who are in the room, a lot of hot tempers. We got to get beyond that, start putting the country first and say, okay, we have big things mm-hmm. we've got to do for people who are just trying to make it uh, all across America, including my home state. Of and if Republicans going to win, you have to win. Uh, she, he has to win in Montana. And then you have in West Virginia, Governor Justice, who looks as a good place to do it. In Pennsylvania, there's great hope with Dave McCormick for Republicans. And we'll see what happens. Uh, I've heard that before. We'll see what the issues are that day. Mike Rogers, best of luck. Hey, thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there is no alternative. I'm concerned that something could happen between now and next November that would make the Democratic Convention in Chicago an unmitigated disaster. And for a party that is acting as the adults in the room, I'm concerned that we are not as it relates to our electoral strategy. So I'm considering it. I do still think there's some time for somebody to enter. I'm still encouraging others who I think are better prepared right now to run a great campaign. But I have thought about it. And I recognize there'd be laughter, there'd be distaste, there would be disgust amongst many. But I also have that sense uh, that the country is begging for alternatives to Joe Biden. And that is Dean Phillips, a moderate Republican, excuse me, moderate Democrat. And he had come out and he was pretty eloquent. I never heard of him. Just saw his name. I didn't know who he was until about a month ago, maybe two. And he said somebody else should run. And Joe Biden, thank you, but you're done. No one thinks you can do the job. Just paraphrasing. So he threw himself in. And what's going to be the thing is he's legitimate. He's one of the richest guys in Congress. He's a self-made multimillionaire, maybe a billionaire. Did it with gelato and something else. And now, and what's the other one? Oh, alcohol. Some type of alcohol. Not rubbing alcohol. There's no money in that. Some type of drinking alcohol. So he'll finance himself. The thing is, he's going to tell New Hampshire, go ahead, be first. I'll be in. And if Joe Biden doesn't get in like he's threatened, I'll win. I'll take take the electoral uh, numbers, and then I'll bring it to South Carolina. And then you look at us together, and maybe you'll pick me. He's a moderate problem solver. We'll see.
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being with us all week long on a really impactful news uh, news week. And one of which I don't really remember, the volume and magnitude of which really doesn't compare to anything that I could, that I could recall. I know. There's stories that are big, election days, war starts, bombing. I get it. But not all at once. You got manhunts going on. You have the. Do you know that the foreign minister of China is actually in town right now meeting with our secretary of state? Normally that would be a top five, top three story. It's not even a top ten story. Trying to set up a meeting in two weeks over on the West Coast. And did you know that our, our plane just came out late last night? There's video of our planes within 10, one of these fighter jets, Chinese fighter jets, when cut off one of our B-52 bombers, not easy to maneuver, got within 10 feet of it. But that's not even one of the top stories. This hour, we're going to be joined by Shannon Bream, who's standing by, and Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour. We did get a speaker this week, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI has thwarted legitimate leads and has prevented its agents from actually investigating Joe Biden's corruption. That is Senator Ron Johnson. The Biden family scandal political slide continues. What the House investigation team has revealed, what they're doing behind closed doors and the inexplicable $200,000 payment from one bro to the other bro. And with one being the president. Number two. It's a highly lethal combination of mental illness, a well-trained military from the Army. He, he's a firearms instructor. He's desperate. He's already killed, so he knows what he's doing. He's not going to be taken alive. I don't think so, but we'll have to see. Chris Swecker, former assistant FBI assistant director, the manhunt for the deranged military uh, veteran killed that killed 18 and wounded 13 others. He has virtually vanished into the woods of Maine, or he's killed himself already. We're staying close to the chase. Number one. Early Friday, U.S. airstrikes at two sites in eastern Syria linked to Iran after recent attacks on American troops in the region. It happened near the town of Abu Kamal, which sits on the border with Iraq. Pentagon officials say it targeted two locations, including weapons and ammunition storage areas. Finally, we hit back at least 14 unanswered attacks, over 90 since President Biden took office, and we target Shia militia bases where they keep weapons. What about the Shia militia themselves? After all, they're trying to kill our guys. Shouldn't we try to kill them? We have uh, that and how Israel is taking on the fight to Hamas. Another probe on the land, in and out last night. They seem to be successful. More and more information intelligence being gathered from the airstrikes, from flying drones of surveillance and attack drones, and from actually going on the ground. I like the way the, the Israelis are taking control of this. The problem is you have a political side to take care of. And internationally, people are seeing images of Gaza and the rubble and thinking there's too much re, uh, retribution. I don't feel that way. Shannon Bream joins me now, uh, anchor of Fox News Sunday, uh, Fox News' chief uh, legal analyst and author of many books. Shannon, welcome back. It's good to talk with you, Brian. Uh, Shannon, first off, on the, on the protest in America, this is one of the most stunning revelations that I have seen nonstop pro-Palestine pro-Hamas, anti-Israeli, anti-Semitic demonstrations in the biggest, most reputable uh, institutions in our country. Where does this come from? And did it catch you by surprise? Um, I think the size and scope of it did in that people don't seem to be worried about people seeing them out there 
you know, taking these positions, um, the thing is that with our reporters who've been out there and been amongst this, the thing that struck me the most is that people just deny the things have actually happened, because I think it's really hard to stand out there and justify, hey, I'm for people that would kill and rape and kill children and kidnap elderly people and torture people. Like, there's no way you can say you're for that. But what I heard was a lot of denial. Like, that didn't actually happen. It's propaganda. Um, uh, we're out here demonstrating for something else in support of something else. So the fact that so many people can be in denial mode, I think, is a little bit shocking in 2023. It is, and it's not stopping. In Cooper Union, there they're actually suing the mm-hmm. president of Cooper Union College in, New- in Manhattan because they had to hide uh, for their own safety in the library. And we're told if it th- gets this bad, we'll bring it to the attic like Anne Frank. I mean, that whole thing is so shocking. And if people can't have moral clarity about that, you know, when I see people saying, well, there was no physical threat, there were no actual (laughs) threats. If you are hiding somewhere and sort of like finding security and sanctuary and fellow citizens of yours are outside banging on doors or whatever, I mean, I I don't see how anybody could say that they would not feel threatened if they found themselves on the receiving end of that behavior. Uh, Shannon Bream, we also have a situation where, Uh, President Biden's numbers are dropping. Could be many reasons. Gallup says he's lost seven points with Democrats from 85, uh, from 86 to 75. Okay, 11 points. And they say one of the reasons, get this, because he came out so firmly for Israel. Mm. What does that say about the party? Well, and, and but that's so strange to me because there is polling that shows that there is strong American support. Yes, it is stronger within the GOP, but it's also there within the Democrat Party. The majority of people think that we should be helping Israel. Now, as everybody's predicted and as Prime Minister Netanyahu warned, this is going to get really ugly, and that's going to make some people back away from the full-throated support of Israel. We've seen in a number of the statements and the readouts from the White House of the calls between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu these constant lines with and reminded Israel to always act within the laws of war, um, reminded Israel not to be angry or to act in anger. I mean, things like if people had said that to us after 9-11 – we would have been like, shut your pie hole. Like, we're defending our country. And, um, you know, we'll see. I think the administration's trying to be very careful. They don't want to get drawn into this. They don't want this to turn into a regional war or something much worse. But um, we all know that the more aggressive Israel has to get in their plans to root out Hamas, the tougher the optics are going to be for them as civilians are caught in this. And those are innocent people. Right. Um, if you're going to take the Mosul model, which Trey Yanks got briefed uh, by the defense minister yesterday, and if they say they learned a lot by Mosul looking at Fallujah, they actually gave everybody IDs, biometric IDs, and w- tried to weed out who the terrorists were in order to take control of a town. Now you got that, plus you have tunnels. So to give you an idea, I think it's the next generation. The next generation is not pro-Israel with Democrats. Less than half of Gen Zers mm-hmm. and millennials believe the U.S. should publicly voice support for Israel. They didn't even ask weapons. Yellow poll was conducted in, uh, in February, and then they just redid it. So get this. October of 2023, 37% approval for the president overall. It was 41% in 2023. So you look at these numbers, as I mentioned, 86 to 75. For independents, he lost four. For Republicans, he got just five. But his approval among uh, Democrats probably is the most disturbing, which makes you wonder if this new entry into the race is going to do anything to him because we know that he's competent. 
And we know that Dean Phillips is a self-made success story, a few terms in Congress. Now he is making it official. He's going to be on the New Hampshire ballot, and he's running for president. How do you think that makes the White House feel? They don't love it. But remember, this week we find out that the president is not going to be on the ballot in New Hampshire. And that has to do with this wrangling back and forth about the DNC and the calendar and who goes first and second and third and all of that. But what's going to happen is like we we're wonks. I will say that to you lovingly, my friend, because we cover this stuff. We know all the inside baseball. But there are a lot of people who don't, you know, they're not that into it. And if they wake up and see that the president, the current sitting president, has, quote, lost the New Hampshire primary to some other guy in an early contest, that is, whether it's Dean Phillips or FK Jr. or someone else, that is going to create an optics problem for the White House. It's going to be weird. Like, there, people. Listen, he could, he could, President Biden could win on a write-in situation, but if somebody comes out and wins one of these first contests, it is going to be a psychological issue that the White House is going to have to deal with. That's going to make the president look very weak. Yeah, I mean that's what they thought with RFK. If RFK, they told him you paid for your own primary in New Hampshire. I think Dean Phillips actually can. Here's a here's ten seconds of his ad. Cut twenty four. We've got some challenges. That's for sure. We're going to repair this economy, and we are going to repair America. As long as we do it together. I'm Dean Phillips, and I approve this message. I mean, that's pretty much why you have the No Labels Party thinks they could run with, with Manchin and Hogan or something like that. Dean Phillips is with the problem solvers, and he talks a little like Trump at times with some of his policies and America First policies. Well, I mean, listen, he's out there making it official today. Meanwhile, I think Gavin Newsom is running a shadow campaign. Is that amazing? <laughs> Whenever he's asked, he's like, I 100 percent President Biden is going to be reelected. Well, what else would he say? But he's going to China and meeting with world leaders. He's going to the border to inspect the problems there. Listen, I mean, he, he can say what he wants to verbally, but I think his actions say a lot to people about the possibility that whether it's he or Dean Phillips or RFK Jr., who now is you know doing his own thing, but they want to be a viable opportunity uh, uh, alternative as these numbers for president biden continue to tank they want to be there to say like oh i'm being pressed into service potentially (laughs) i didn't choose this but i am ready and i've been running a campaign there's nothing else that makes sense at this point so i want to ask you about this the biden family uh investigations it turns out that martin estrada u.s attorney verified the whistleblower claims that he did that he did decline to prosecute hunter biden on tax crimes one of the reasons when these guys go behind closed doors for transcripts, uh, they said that he did not investigate Donald Trump, excuse me, uh, Joe Biden, because he didn't have any people. They, some people resigned. He didn't have a staff. He wasn't staffed up enough to inter- to actually follow up on 40 investigations of <laughs> of the Biden family. Do you buy that? Well, listen, what did we hear from the whistleblowers? They t- were they said that they had specific leads that they went to the people who were in the position to make decisions and were waved off of them. I mean, they thought that there was a plan to move forward with certain charges, and the higher-ups told them we're not going there. They claimed that they were specifically told not to follow certain paths to certain people. They claimed that members of the Biden family were tipped off when they were going to try to execute search warrants or show up to, you know, conduct interviews. So that, I mean, what we're hearing lines up with what the whistleblowers have claimed, that they were specifically told not to follow certain lines of investigation that led to certain people in places. Well, that's because it was you didn't want to touch the power, but the answer that he gives is ridiculous. We were resource-strapped well, as the main reason. I, I had every, I, I was investigating too many dry cleaners that might have not <laughs> been paying their corporate taxes. I mean, but who decides the resourcing? 
You know what I mean? If if it of is course. a big, if it's a big important case, you're going to pull in agents and people from other places. Meanwhile, the agents who were on the cases were told that they weren't even allowed to do stuff. These are people who were assigned to the cases, who were there as resources, who eventually were pulled away from the cases. So, so there I, were resources I'm, at some point. On One Nation, I'm not going to tell you to do everything I do, but I do try to tell you that. You just model it in your life. That's true. I model it. I do. I, I try to model it, and I hope you you subscribe. Uh, but mm-hmm. I will say, I want to talk to Miranda Devine this weekend because this $200,000 payment that everyone said, well, it came out there, but no one cared. We don't care because we had no speaker. But we don't know a good reason why Jim Biden paid Joe Biden $200,000 days after Hunter Biden said, my dad's sitting right here to a Chinese official and you better pay up because we have long memories, as I paraphrase. And next thing you know, he gets $200,000. But people want to say, where's the direct payment? You actually have a direct payment. Yeah, but I think that the White House feels pretty confident that most people are going to ignore that and say, like, oh, it was a brother paying another brother. They had a loan. Something else happened there. I think that they feel pretty confident that nobody is going to – not nobody, but that mainstream media is not going to do anything with that. You know, for them, the House is a headache. The House continues to talk about impeachment. The House mm-hmm. – you know, Comer and these other guys say, you've been asking us for a paper trail where we're going to start giving you some receipts. But, you know, if – it if nobody's paying attention outside of Capitol Hill, I think the White House feels pretty confident it's not an issue. Here's what what James Comer said, cut cut 21. What you're going to be hearing out of the White House over the next few weeks is loan, loan, loan. And look, even if Joe Biden did give his brother a loan, which I don't believe he did, the fact that, that his brother defrauded a company that is now bankrupt and all the creditors lost all their money that they invested in this or loaned to this healthcare company, but Joe Biden got $200,000 from it before they went bankrupt, all because Jim Biden was selling the brand, was selling the Biden well, name and convinced people to pay him money in exchange for favors from Joe Biden. So this is going to be the case. And when you see the numbers... People are beginning to come to the conclusion that the Bidens were up to no good trading on the family name and not comfortable with that, which never came out in 2020. And we'll see what happens now that we're staffed up with a speaker. Right, Shannon? We Well, listen, and the speaker's got a lot of staffing up to do because to go from somebody who's not even served as a chairman of a committee, kind of zero to 100, um, there's a massive hiring and influx situation. I'm sure that Speaker Johnson's people are, are going to be talking with some of McCarthy's staff, maybe bringing them on. He's also got a massive fundraising operation that he's got to now scale up um, and will be seen as somebody that's got to get that going for the party, too. And there are many races. So um, he seems like he's you know very comfortable with moving forward with where impeachment is going, seeing where it's going to lead. I mean, the committees are already handling that. But we run out of money, as you know, on November 17th. So how do we do that? Um, This whole supplemental lumping Israel, Ukraine, all the aid together, there's going to be a fight over that. So it's got a pretty full plate. I mean, it's it's kind of like I sometimes say, why would you ever want to be president? It seems like the hardest, worst, most stressful job, dangerous in the world. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people kind of feel that way about being House Speaker right now, too. Right. Uh, Do you think that Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan help out, or you think there's going to be bitterness and if any of them are better, who do you think it would be? Because they, and even Tom Emmers, because they tried and mm-hmm. weren't successful. Um, you listen, I mean, I do think there's a little bit of middle schoolness that goes on over there. But, I mean, Scalise and um, Johnson do have a relationship. I mean, these guys are both from Louisiana. They've been friends. Um, they seem and Scalise it, yeah. could, be very, could be very helpful to him. Uh, Shannon, have you thought about booking guests or you've been too busy? 
Um, I have thought about booking guests and I've booked guests. I've done both those things. So we're going to have Mike McCall with us, um, chair of House uh, Armed Services, to talk about some of these funding fights in foreign policy, um, where the U.S. is trying not to get drawn into a regional war, but, you know, where we've got to defend our interests. So we'll talk with him about all of that stuff. Plus, we're doing a deep dive in the show on crime. So we've got reporters from San Francisco to New York and everywhere in between. What's working? What's not working? Prosecutors who don't prosecute. Um, Mm -hmm. Law enforcement agencies finding it nearly impossible to retain and stay staffed up and recruit. So we've got... um, Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson is one of our people with us. He just flipped from from D to R because he says progressive policies are killing cities like Dallas. So we'll do a deep dive on crime this week, too. That's all I can ask. And then first, watch One Nation Saturdays at 9. Saturday night, show prep, and then on Sunday, Fox News Sunday. Back in a moment, Shannon. Stay within yourself. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, coming up next, Mark Thiessen will be joining us. And don't forget, One Nation is coming up on Saturday night at 9 o'clock. Got a great roster of guests, including Senator Tom Cotton, Brett Velikovich coming to us from uh, Tel Aviv. Miranda Devine will begin us the latest on the Hunter Biden investigation. And it is moving, and she's got great information. Intelligence, Larry Kudlow. The economy grew at 4.8%, but why is people not celebrating, including the White House? We'll discuss that. And the criticism on Donald Trump and his track record in the Middle East, really? Is that verified? Joe Biden's done exactly the opposite and the exactly opposite results. We've got a world on fire. We'll discuss all that. Hey, would he go back if Trump goes back? I don't think he should leave Fox Business, but I will not do career counseling for anyone. Quick thing on my tour, Teddy and Booker T comes up on the 7th. That's a week from this coming Tuesday. I got live events where I have a chance to interact and meet you guys. My first one, I can't wait. South Jersey, Red Bank, New Jersey. It'll be at 7 o'clock at the Vogel. Then at the Ponte Vedra, the Villages, Vero Beach, Madison, Connecticut on the 14th, Madison, Alabama, Chattanooga, Tennessee on the 18th. I'll be on Bayshore, Long Island the weekend of Thanksgiving, that Friday. And don't forget, back to doing the live shows, Skookie, Illinois, Holland, Michigan. And don't forget, Mon, uh, Mon Hill, Pennsylvania. So just go to BrianKilmead.com and you can order all those tickets. A book comes with each ticket. And um, I think you're going to love it. Teddy and Booker T. Don't move. so busy he'll make your head spin it's brian kilmeade to re-engage iran now on a nuclear deal would be insane the biden administration has misjudged the iranians they're not trying to build a peaceful nuclear program they're trying to build a bomb uh trump had him in a corner trump had him diminished biden came in and right quickly gave them billions of dollars that's increased their ability to kill Israelis and us. So it was a bad idea to give the Ayatollah any money. The Ayatollah is a religious Nazi. He would get a bomb. If he had a bomb, he would use it. Uh, that is true. And last night, by the way, the Ayatollah finally got some retribution when his militias got their, uh, their weapons depot blown up in Syria. But most of the attacks are coming from Iraq. So not from Iraqis, from Shia militia in Iraq. 
So why did we take 19 hits there over the last three weeks and not pay anything back? Why did we take 90-plus? Mark Thiessen joins us now. Mark, you know this area. We certainly know Iraq. We know where these rockets and drones are coming from. But we hit Syria. I'm happy for the hit. Are you feeling satisfied? Uh, I'm feeling a little bit better. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Uh, but look, this the, the militia that is attacking our bases in Iraq is Khatib Hezbollah, which is the same militia that was hitting our bases when Donald Trump was president. And Donald Trump said that if you if you if you kill a single American, we're going to whack Iran. And and uh, and he first thing he did when they killed an American citizen is they uh, he he whacked Khatib Hezbollah. And then when they when they were threatening to do, they set our embassy on fire and were threatening to kill, uh, further attack, he took out Qasem Soleimani and the leader of Khatib Hezbollah in a strike. That's how you deter Iran, um, you know. And so the the good news is that you know Biden is a slow learner. <laughs> he ends up do you know we've seen this in in Ukraine over and over again where he does the right thing but he does it late all the time. He he won't give them a weapon system then he gives it to them like nine months later when they should have had it from the very beginning. It's kind of the same thing that's happening now with Iran where you know he he said don't, and then they did, and then they did. And then they did. And now he's finally sort of inching back towards the uh, towards the Trump red line, saying that, you know, we've warned the Ayatollah that if you uh, that if you kill an American, we're going to we're going to hold you accountable. So, you know, let's hope they I mean, first of all, they have killed Americans. They're they're their proxy killed over 30 Americans in Israel uh, with Hamas. They've got Americans hostage. Uh, so we've got to, We've got to restore deterrence with the Iranians because the Iranians clearly think that Joe Biden is more afraid of escalation than they are. And if they think that he's afraid of escalation, they're going to they're not going to be deterred. But right away, they said this has nothing to do with what's happening in Israel. They want to decouple. Uh, we see the Secretary of Defense say that, and we see the the press secretaries, all of them. You know, there's there's a bunch now because they're, they're trying to get one message out. Uh, Brigadier General Ryder says, right now we're tracking. Uh, there are three attacks today. So far, there's been 19, and again, we're going to continue to update those uh, new information as it comes in. He let everybody know that we are tracking it, and so far, there's no answer. Jennifer Griffin probably asked the most direct question. And again, the U.S. does not seek conflict, nor do we desire further hostilities. However, the Iran-backed attacks against U.S. forces are unacceptable and must cease. We are prepared to take further action to protect our people if necessary. Well, at one point, 2,500 in Iraq. I don't want to. Are we afraid to hit in Iraq? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, It sounds like it because we're not doing it. Uh, But, I mean, just to put this in context, when Trump took out Qasem Soleimani in Iraq, uh, he was landing in Iraq to meet with the leader of Khatib Hezbollah and plan a terrorist attack against the United States, and we blew up his car where the two of them were in it. Um, the first thing Trump did is he put out a tweet to the Ayatollah saying, do not retaliate. If you do, I will strike Iran, and I have picked out 52 targets inside Iran in honor of the 52 hostages you took in 1979. And we will hit Iran hard and fast if you do anything. And they back down because the fact is Iran knows they can't win a war with the United States. They do not want to get into a shooting war with us. That's why they hit us through proxies because they think the proxies give them give them plausible deniability, which we continue to give them. The way to do, the way to stop Iran in its tracks is to make clear that with, that they will that we will strike them um, in, in right. if, if they if they kill an American. The, the, by the way, which uh, blows me away is they're meeting above ground. Hezbollah, Hamas, 
uh, Iran. And also, Hezbollah, Hamas was welcomed into Russia, Vladimir Putin. Hey, guys, why don't you come over? Meanwhile, they have Russian hostages. these things aren't connected. Yeah, of course. These things aren't connected. You're right. What's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Israel, completely not connected. Taiwan soon. Nothing to do with each other. Taiwan, yeah, none of it's connected. Here's the foreign minister. And, and, you know, and Japan, by the way, Japan and Nazi Germany weren't connected either. You know, it's just these are just two by by pure coincidence happening at the same time. Next thing you know, you'll link Mussolini with the whole thing. How dare you? Uh, frankly, uh, to the American statesmen who are now managing the genocide in Palestine, that we do not welcome the expansion of the war of the region. But I warn you, if the genocide in Gaza continues, they will not be spared from the fire. These are the words of the Iran foreign minister. I mean, I'm a fa- I'm I'm enraged that these guys doing this from New York City, where How his un- prisoners got to stay here. Do you know that we did a prisoner exchange, and the prisoners that we got that, that the Iran got out. Get to stay in New York. Why do we give the Iran foreign minister a visa to come to the United States and threaten us from our own territory? It's crazy. It's insane. I mean, it's just all of this stuff is projecting weakness. The biggest problem, the biggest problem we have, is that the reason why why the war in Ukraine started is because of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Because 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 um, Putin looked at Biden and said, "This guy is weak. He doesn't want conflict. This is my moment to move." The the slow rolling in Ukraine, the talking about how we don't want escalation, that emboldened Iran to do what it did in Israel. And China's watching this. I mean, so we we've now have on Biden's watch. A lost war in Afghanistan, a new war in in Europe, a new war in the Middle East, and China is threatening a new war in in the Pacific. We're on the we're on the verge of World War Three. I mean, I don't know if, if there are wars going connected by 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 a an axis of, of evil powers in three continents, uh, in two continents, possibly three. I think that qualifies as a world war. And, and look, at some point, we're yeah. going to get drawn into it. We have to deter them from from expanding this even any further. Russia's and the way lo- you do that, right? and Russia's Russia is loving the Hamas problem that we have, and that the carnage that they put together. And here's why: because as David Ignatius said yesterday, he says there's a weapon system, defensive missile system that they're diverting from Ukraine that was going there is now going to Israel. So this it's really drawing out our resources. We have to make more. It's a for profit business. We should expand our industrial base, and someone should be running on that. Meanwhile, your thoughts about the new speaker? He's great. I, I, I'm, you know, first of all, I didn't know anything much about Mike Johnson. I'm a, as a pres- former presidential speaker, speechwriter, I'm a sucker for a great speech. His speech on the in, from the from the, uh, from, from the uh, speaker's uh, you know rostrum was was spectacular, um, and I love what he's saying. Uh, I love the fact that he the first thing he did. Was reach out to Hakeem Jeffries and to his uh, to his Democratic op- uh, opposition and say he said to Hakeem Jeffries, I know your heart, I know you love America, and you're trying to do the right thing for our country, and we will try and find common ground. Which, well, by contrast, Hakeem Jeffries put out a tweet attacking him as a mega extremist and blah blah blah. But you know what? You always win points with grace. Um, he was gracious. He's in here, and he's saying the right things on Ukraine. He's, oh, in his fact, his let's hear it. Sean last night. Yeah, I want you to he hear said, it. I want you to hear it because it's creating controversy. Listen. 
So I agree with your assessment in Ukraine, and that's why the American people are demanding some real accountability for the use of those dollars. Now, we can't allow Vladimir Putin to prevail in Ukraine because I don't believe it would stop there, and it would probably encourage and empower China to perhaps make a move on Taiwan. We have these concerns. Um, we're, we're not going to abandon them, but we have a responsibility, a stewardship responsibility, over the precious treasure of the American people. And we have to make sure that the White House is providing the people with some accountability for the dollars. So he's getting blowback from the right about his stance in Ukraine. He's getting he's getting blowback from a small handful of people on the right. But the vast majority of the of the Republican caucus supports that. Look, the the Republican caucus in the House is broken up into into three groups, a very small group of isolationists who are very vocal and 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 belligerent. Uh, The 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 vast majority who support Ukraine and then another faction of people who support Ukraine, but are afraid to say so and just hope that the Democrats will carry the vote to get the aid to Ukraine. They're voting voting no, but hoping yes. Um, I just had uh, Brian Fitzpatrick on my podcast. Uh, this week, and he talked about that. That he, he when he was on the floor with that vote, where where uh, where uh, Republicans were voting against it, he said people were coming up to him and said, "I got to vote no, but I, but I, we, we got. I, I hope Ukraine gets the money." I mean, profiles encourage, right? But th- this is this is where the majority of the country and the majority of the Republican Party is, and we and he we can't let. Uh, this this minority of people, uh, you know, de- derail it. And what I love about Johnson is every time I hear him speak, he talks about Ronald Reagan. And God bless him. That's exactly the person who should be his lo- his lodestar. Uh, uh, that he's you know the the Reagan doctrine of peace through strength, of helping freedom fighters uh, fight their own wars right. of liberation and take on our enemies without having to send American troops to do it. That should be what guides us in this in in, in through this period of time right now. And I think he's committed to do it. Mark Thiessen, you know the Republicans only have a four seat advantage in the House. Santos is on trial. If he's convicted, should he be tossed? Boy, it's you know that's a tough situation for for Johnson to be in because that's also you know you got a dem, you know you'd have a special election there that's a democratic uh, democratic area, you know uh, they 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 I'll, I'll tell you what when when the Democrats toss Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib we can toss Santos I hope we I hope he loses a primary and we get a normal Republican in there in in a, in a few months' time. Right, uh, we know that Swazi wants to run and try to get would sem- a semblance of a seat back. It'll be very interesting to see what if the gerrymander holds up because they're trying to gerrymander Republicans right out of it in New York. Quick note, Donald Trump within nine in New York, a place he lost by 21. Uh, do you think that he, and you know Zeldin only lost by seven here. Do you think things are changing or? Do I think that Donald Trump has any chance of hell of, of winning in New York? No. How about this? How about within <laughs> within five or six at a trial they have him criminally and civilly charged? They're trying to take all his stuff away. Tell him he's a liar and a cheat. They took, they made him sell his golf course. But, but the fact is, it's not resonating, even in New York. Yeah, I mean, it, look, here's, here's my problem. Uh, first of all, I think Donald Trump is being treated absolutely, uh, absolutely horribly. Uh, 91 indictments. I mean, the Unabomber had only 14 indictments, and Donald Trump's facing 91 different indictments uh, around the country. It's, it's absolutely true. But this election is not going to be decided by the Republican base, which is rallying around the president. It's not going to be decided by the left-wing base, which is rallying, rallying around Biden, is going to rally around Biden against him. It's going to be decided by a handful of a few hundred thousand swing voters in five states. And the question is, are they going to vote for Donald Trump or not? And I don't think they are. And I think that that's, that's the danger uh, of a Trump nomination. This, this, if you just look at the world, 
what's happening in the world right now, what's happening to our economy, what's happening to our southern border. This is more important than one man. And we have to put up we have to put up the candidate. We can't afford to let Biden win and, and by extension, have a Harris presidency, because that's what it is. We're going to have Kamala Harris as president of the United States if Biden wins. Right. I just think uh, so, you should be open, Mark. I felt that way a year ago. I think things are changing. I, I have no idea what's happening with the court cases. Know, that's above I, I, my pay grade. Not, not enough. Not enough. I, look, I, I, I have no I bear no hostility in my heart to Donald Trump. I think he was a great president. I thought what I thought he had the way he handled mm-hmm. the election was horrible. Um, but but uh, but I think he was a, he was a fantastic president. I voted for him. I wanted him to win again. Uh, we cannot risk a, a, a Harris presidency. <laughs> so you think that you think that Haley and DeSantis, you think the Kool-Aid, Brian. No, but do you think, I'm not drinking well, the, the Kool-Aid. You may, you may like Kool-Aid, but I'm not, I'm, I want to live. No, well, I'm just saying that he's winning in, he's winning right now in Michigan, in Pennsylvania. I haven't seen Arizona or Georgia lately, but I just have to, you have to see. Let's see when they, this is so early. And and it's and this is that is a reflection of the the anti-Biden sentiment, not not necessarily pro-Trump sentiment. And I'm telling you, any other Republican we put up will will crush the Democrats. It's not <laughs> even close. Why would we take a chance? Why would we, uh, this, this 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 could be the most important election? I mean, every every election is. Always well, I agree with you on that. In my lifetime, this one is this one. We I, we I don't know that our country can survive four more years of these people. And I, don't, I don't know if they wanted to. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that. There's that. Right. OK. Uh, Mark, just quick, real quick. Do you think we are holding back the Israelis from going in on the ground? I don't think the Israelis would hold back. Uh, and I will tell you, if we are, it's absolutely the stupidest thing we could possibly do, because what what is does this, this administration not understand the concept of incentives? Like if you if you pay a ransom for hostages, people are going to take more hostages. <laughs> if you tell terrorists we won't attack you as long as you hold hostages, what are they going to friggin do? They're going to hold on to the hostages. I mean, it, 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 you, you cannot the wit. The answer to the hostages is to tell the Iranians, not the not Hamas, the Iranian regime, mm-hmm. if a single hair on the head of a single American hostage is harmed, we are going to strike you. And we're going to hold you responsible. And Qasem Soleimani, his successor, is going to die. Every time an American hostage dies, an American dies at the hands of Iran or its proxies, the Quds Force commander dies too. I just hope more people, more people in the White House listen to the radio show, Mark, and then we make some progress <laughs> as a nation. Finally change policy. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. We will, I'll, I'll run with you. <laughs> okay. I'll be your vice president. Right. And you, just, you write all the speeches. And I'll just put him in the prompter, and I'll look like a genius. There you go. Thanks so much. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got One Nation coming up. Don't forget, Saturday, 9 o'clock, we'll be live. Uh, Quick note, everyone's talking about what's happening. Of of course, uh, we're tracking the shooter. But what happened in Maine with uh, this professional shooter 
uh, trade twenty year military member goes off the rails, hears voices, gets institutionalized, comes out and gets shoots, uh, and and people uh, die because of it. Eighteen dead, thirteen wounded. Sadly, I think the wounded's going to go up. We're talking about the people living a normal life, bowling. It was a night in which the bowlers were focusing on the deaf community on top of that. And then they go to a sports bar, people hanging out, playing darts. That would be the last thing they ever do. Even a 14-year-old kid died. It all brings up the mass shooting and the issue. I'm not trying to take anybody's guns. I'm not trying to take everybody's guns, neither. But we all admit it's a problem. Pierce Morgan weighed in, and I thought he had a good point. Listen, cut 15. The one thing I've learned about this whole issue is it's an American issue. Americans don't want to hear people with my accent lecturing them on how to lead their lives or what culture they should have in their country, and I learned that, uh, and I respect that. Uh, Having said that, that image of that guy there clutching what appears to be, I guess, a semi-automatic rifle, whatever it may be, we don't know yet, and we don't know what his motivation is, we don't know exactly what's happened here or why, and to preempt that is stupid, and to try and score points is stupid. But... America has to look at these images, which come again and again and again. And just understand that to the rest of the world, this seems crazy. And for him, he said, we, I just, he said he grew up in the UK. There's just no guns. There's violence, but there's no guns. We're never going to get like that. We got the guns really because of the British. We want to be able to protect ourselves. In Israel, they said, everyone get a gun. We're under attack. Uh, but as Americans, we didn't have this problem until lately. It would be worth looking at. Holistically, but no one's taking anybody's gun away. But I think everybody in this country wants this thing handled. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.